Neves Solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neves Solicitors, your complete legal solution. And welcome to The Parent Show on Radio Verlum 92.6 FM. I'm Cathy Weston and I, a very, very warm welcome to all our regular listeners and to our new listeners. It's always very exciting to have new likes on our Facebook page and equally lots of engagement, people emailing us um, and, and getting involved with the show. Tonight's show is all about bone marrow transplant in children, which sounds like a very niche topic. But when we encountered a fabulous young man called Rupert Cross, we were absolutely determined to do a show around what Rupert has been through and equally to raise awareness around a very, very important topic, which is bone marrow uh, donation. Uh, Every 14 minutes in this country, someone is diagnosed with blood cancer and over 2,000 people in the UK are in need of a bone marrow or indeed a stem cell transplant every year. 75% of UK patients will not find a matching donor in their families. So they turn to a very um, important organisation, Anthony Nolan, which I'm sure everyone is aware of. And we're going to be delving into that a little bit more this evening and talking to them about the process of becoming a donor. We've got lots of guests lined up all in the studio this evening. And if you follow us on Facebook, hopefully you'll see some of them. We've got Holly Cross. Welcome, Holly. And we've got Rupert. Hello, Hot Rupert. Hi. And Steve Simpson. How are you, Steve? I'm fine. Thanks, Kathy. How are and we're going to be talking to everybody a little bit later on, as well as Sarah Rogers from the Anthony Nolan. But kicking off our fabulous show this evening is none other than Ethan Summers, who I can see through my window. And he is aged 14 at Onslow St. Audrey School in Hatfield. And I believe he's going to play us one of his very own tunes on the ukulele. Off you go. Here we go, Ethan. Introduce yourself. Uh, hi, I'm Ethan Summers. Uh, I play the ukulele. Uh, I'll be playing the original later on, but I'll be starting off with uh, Can't Help Falling In Love by Elvis Presley. One of my favourites. Okay, off you go.
Darling, so it goes. Some things are meant to be. Summers. I don't believe his album's out quite yet, but we will tell you when it is. And he's going to be joining us later on in the show. Is that right, Ethan? Uh, I believe so, yes. You believe so? And hopefully the whole of Onslow St. Audrey's is listening. Uh, I've been to that school very recently and it was fabulous. So yeah. well done. And we'll hear from you a little bit later on. Right, thank you. Perfect. So back to our topic this evening, which is bone marrow transplant uh, in children. Now, if you have been following our Facebook page, you may have even seen a picture of Mr. Rupert, who's here. Rupert, can you tell us what age you are? I am 10. You're 10. And the whole show tonight is centred around you. Does that make you happy? Yeah, I guess. <sighs> yeah, it's okay. I'm used to having my own radio show after me. And Holly, welcome to the show to you. You're Rupert's mum. I am. And we came, it came to our attention, the story that, of, of what Rupert had been through, mostly through your fundraising efforts. People think in the local community were aware that you were raising lots of money for Anthony Nolan. So let's go back to the beginning and tell us what happened. How did your journey begin? Okay, so it was back in uh, 2014 and Rupert had a blood test for something not related at all when he was age six. Um, the bloods were, something wasn't quite right with them, so eventually we got referred to Great Ormond Street in 2015, um, and we were there for quite a while, moved house in February 2016, which is quite a big step in yeah, everything, yeah. um, and then, because we just moved house in February, in April 2016, we were told that Rupert needed a bone marrow transplant. Now, stop it right there, because... You, did you know what that even was? How did you feel when you heard that? Um, we were told when we originally went to Great Ormond Street that it could be um, something that may happen, but it was very unlikely at that stage. Um, I knew of it from many, many years ago with um, uh, Esther Ranson, and I remember Auntie Nolan being on her show talking, so Gosh, I kind of knew right. of it. Yes. Not only that, on top of that, I actually was on the register myself. Really? Um, I gave blood regularly and they said to me, do you want to, you know, be on the register as well? And so I said, oh, why not? I was in my early 20s. Why not? So I kind of was aware of it, but didn't know the detail. So when they told you that, I mean, obviously it must have been a real shock because Rupert wasn't unwell, was he? That's right. Yeah. yeah and that always takes people by surprise that, that, that those steps would be taken, that Rupert would have to go through something as invasive and difficult as chemotherapy yeah. when he was healthy, in inverted commas. Yes. So how, does, how did that feel? It was very strange. And um, I kind of deep down knew something wasn't quite right. Rupert always looked occasionally very, very white and pasty mm. and thought something wasn't quite right. But, you know, that's my mother's instinct. Um, it was a very difficult thing knowing that he was in school 
on one day, the next day he was in Great Ormond Street, yeah. and the next day started chemo, chemo, and it was just such a quick rush. But when I had that meeting with um, Great Ormond Street, and I said, does he have to have this? And the consultant turned straight around to me and said, yes. Then there's you're no choice. At, you're at Great Ormond Street, the best hospital in the world for children. Yeah. Uh, yes. Now, I know you have an army background and I feel looking at what what you've been through and how you've coped with it, I think that may have come in handy <laughs> because you were embarking on a real, you know, some a massive organisational feat. Yeah. And it took it took a lot of those skills, didn't it? It did. Um, it was in the RAF. And, Sorry, uh, <laughs> and it, living, well, we had to be in isolation. And living in a square box, very similar to this studio, not that anybody can see, um, for, well, it turned out to be 88 days that we were in isolation for. You had to learn to be clean, neat, tidy. I had to go through a very strict routine in hospital. And yes, going back onto my days, it really helped. Now, when you were, you, did you know it was going to be 88 days or did that just unfold? That unfolded. So you we didn't were, actually know what, no, what was you were in for? We were that. told, um, I can't remember exactly now how many weeks, but not as long as that. Yeah. But unfortunately, Rupert had quite a lot of complications in hospital, which caused us to stay in for that little bit longer. So, Rupert, tell us what your, ho- your hospital room was like that you spent 88 days in. Uh, it was it was it was all right i guess it was a, it was a bit small but i we could live in it and it was fine yeah and you were telling me earlier on um, some of your best memories of hospital involved a certain nurse keeping you entertained yeah laura she was my favorite nurse and she always kept me happy and entertained did she yes Pl- making silly faces i heard yeah yeah and did you used to run around you're not allowed to run around the room or no. cause havoc you have to be tidy did you yeah i was mostly in bed most of my time just watching youtube yeah because i had nothing really else to do but the amazing thing is, Holly, you told me, I think, that you were involved in running around the streets of London looking for Pokemon at some <coughs> point. Yes, it was when <laughs> Pokemon Go was extremely big and uh, we managed to sort it out. So Rupert had his iPad in hospital bed and I was running around with my mobile phone and he'd just say, <laughs> you've got to go here, you've got to go and get this. So I was running around the streets and he'd go, go and get this, what was it, Lapras? Yeah, Lapras. There we go, go and get the Lapras. And I was running in the streets, desperately <laughs> trying to get this Lapras for him. A bit like Annika oh, Rice, yes. with Rupert directing yeah. from his hospital bed. But the thing, he could see where I was and he could see where the Lapras was and they only appeared for a certain amount of time. So, um, yeah. And Holly, one of the questions people have asked me about to ask you is about did you actually have to live in the room yourself for 88 days because you have another child at home so how did that all work out um we somebody had to be with him 24 hours a day um and you could only nominate three people so which was my husband and myself um and we didn't really have a third person on the list uh I could go out of the room, but when I, it, it had like an airlock. So you had to go through this airlock, make sure you washed your hands, changed any clothes, that kind of thing. So you kept everything clean. Um, so hence why I could go out and get the Pokemon, but Rupert wasn't allowed out of the room. But, and I needed, for me personally, I needed a little bit of fresh air every day to escape what was happening really yeah and and did you have sort of regular meetings with his doctors you know at, at, was it every day every single day yeah so he had blood tests every day we got the results of the blood test in the morning um and then yes we saw the a doctor every day and the consultants came around as well occasionally 
And Rupert, did you actually, were you able to make friends when you were on the ward with other children? Did you see them, well, have contact with them? not really, but uh, my mum had friends in hospital, like grown-up friends, and there were people next door to us who, who had a, like, baby-ish, and they, um, they had, like, two daughters, and I used to draw on the walls with them and send them messages because we couldn't oh. really go into other people's yeah. rooms. Yeah, what and do you think? still keep in touch with them, Rupert? Um, well, my mum does. I don't really yeah. like You're too talk. busy back at school. Yeah. Yeah. And how long has it been since Rupert was in Great Ormond Street now? This is September. Oh, um, when he was in... Oh, you mean when he was in then or do you mean... Yeah, so, so still... this is September. So when was he sort of released from Great Ormond Street? So um, when we... So he's been back at school now for over a good period of yes. time. Um, yeah. We came out of hospital, uh, let's have a think. We were in hospital. Yeah, so in April, we were told we needed to go in. And then in June 2016, when he just turned eight and got an iPad for his birthday, what else? Well deserved, <laughs> something, something we needed yeah. at that time. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness for iPads. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't normally give a just turned eight year old an iPad, but, um, <laughs> and then we, um, we were in there for then the 88 days and then we came home. Again, that was a completely different thing. We had to be completely clean at home. I, um, he wasn't allowed to go out. He wasn't allowed to have takeaways. Um, I had to cook all his meals. They had to be completely fresh. I couldn't cook and then freeze and then reheat. Uh, wasn't allowed to use any wooden topping boards. It was really strict as to what we could and couldn't do. And what about throughout this time? Were you just concentrating on his progress and his health recovery and sustaining his good health? Or were you constantly along the journey worried about or thinking about, sorry, his donor? Who was this person that matched to Rupert? Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, this amazing, as was anonymous person at the time, I mean, how could you ever go to thanking somebody who's, you know, saved your son's life? I mean, it's just, he's just an amazing person. I can never, ever thank him enough for what he's done. Um, I mean, Rupert's changed blood groups. He's the same blood group as him now as well. So, but yeah, going back to your original question, yeah. you do, you do think about it every, you know, when I was in hospital, I was concentrating on it, but there doesn't, there isn't a day that doesn't go past. I don't think about him. The fact that he registered on the <laughs> list. And it was only because of that that, I mean, how long were you actually, did you have to wait for that donor match? We were very lucky. That yeah. A, in the fact that we had three um, donors that matched. We had, there's a, I'm sure that Anthony Nolan will go into more detail, but you have to, a 10 10 match is the best match you can have. And we had three of those. Um, and we also had an umbilical cord as well that was a match we could have used. It wasn't a closer match, but it, we could still use it. Um, we didn't have much time to wait because when we first went into Great Ormond Street, they took our bloods, my husband's, mine and his brother, Hector, just to check that they were matches in case we needed. We weren't a match, so straight away then they put us on the register. And so when we knew we had to have a bone marrow transplant, we knew there were people there. That's right. And currently, you know, I think last year with Anthony Nolan, they searched for donors for 300 plus children like Rupert who couldn't find a match in their family. Mm -hmm. So the first port of call is a familial match. And then when that doesn't work out, I think Rupert's one of the luckier patients within that 69% who finds a, you know, is able yeah. to find a, a match. And then apparently it drops dramatically if you're a patient from a black, Asian or ethnic minority. 
minority background. It does. So this is a key thing to raise awareness of, which is that the actual list, I think, and Sarah Rogers will tell us a little bit more later on, that they require donors from those particular backgrounds. It does, and that's a big thing. And one of the reasons why I do these kind of things as well is to raise awareness. Um, We had um, a friend in hospital at the time, uh, Ali, who um, was an amazing little boy. Sadly, um, they couldn't find a donor for him. This is two years ago, over two years ago now. Um, and he had something called gene therapy, which was a, a, an unusual thing in those days, and a couple of say days, a couple of years ago, which managed to keep him going for that little bit longer. Um, they are still waiting for a donor for oh Ali. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, Judy, his mother, is just such an amazingly strong person. So She's that woman is still there, still, still, still yeah. waiting, still going through what you went through in the waiting period. Yes. But it's prolonged for years. It is. And Ali is only a very little child, isn't he? He is, yeah. yeah. I think he's just had his fourth birthday, um, yeah. you know, and he's got his brother as well, who obviously wasn't a match, but they are trying so hard to find a, a match for Ali. That's what will save his life. And the sad thing is, I mean, oddly, you were uh, on the STEM donor list as, yeah. a, as a student. Most people don't seem to be because only 2% of people in the UK are registered as stem cell donors. So we've got a lot of work to do. And we're going to be talking to Sarah about how you actually become one as mm-hmm. well a little bit later on. But... Um, Whenever you be- became a donor yourself, it, you could never have anticipated. No, that the, the you know the, that's proper karma, isn't yeah. it? I mean, I was so relieved that I was on the register because I felt like I was prepared to go through and you know and do it for somebody else. Really, so never take, imagining, never imagining. No. Take Ali's case. We know Ali has a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. I'd love everyone listening to just go and look at it and you know look at the plight Ali's family are in. If you could be the match, listening to save that little boy's life so I think it's really important that we um, step up the campaign basically Ali's fight Ali's fight and And that's on Facebook A-L-L-Y that's great now Rupert back to you I would like to know I heard on the grapevine the Twitter grapevine that you met someone terribly famous that everybody else wants to meet when you were in Great Ormond Street who was it? Tim Peake Tim Peake came to visit Rupert uh, was it after he got out of the space capsule or before? I was still in there, yeah. but it was like near the end when he came. Yeah, so you were still in there, but he had been in space, hadn't he, for how long, how many days? Probably, I think long it was <laughs> It was a long time, wasn't it? Yeah. And one of the most poignant pictures I've ever seen was the picture of him standing outside your room with his, he was fist pumped, he was like, woo, Rupert! And your fists were touching, weren't they? Between with the glass, be, with the glass in between. And I yeah. thought when I looked at that picture, wow, you and Tim Peake have something in common, isn't it? You've survived a very interesting and different experience. Yeah, yeah. I'm and were you able to communicate with him through the glass? Yeah, I asked him some questions. Did and you? Stuff. Yeah. What did you ask him? Like, did he miss his family? How was it up there? How did he feel? Just questions that I felt I like. Did he feel the same way and stuff like that? Yeah. And what did he say? Did he give you any tips on how to sort of survive your experience in there? Well, he just really said stay calm and just, just get on with it, really. Brilliant. Do you think you'd stay calm if you were up on the International Space Station? 
Yeah, I'd probably get used to it after. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you'll be an astronaut one day, going through all that <laughs> training. And Holly, what would you say to parents, you know, who have children at Great Ormond Street, perhaps not for this particular reason? I mean, you're a massive fan of it, aren't you? Oh, um, definitely. Yeah. Anyone who's had any exposure to it just appreciates it all the greater. It is. It's an amazing place. And actually, it feels very much like home to us now. We go in and as soon as you walk in through the doors, there's people, volunteers in orange tops saying, can we help you? And Really? And we feel like saying, well, actually, can we help you? <laughs> we, we know where <laughs> everything is now. Yeah. And it does feel home from home. When we first came home, going back into Great Ormond Street felt more like home than actually being at home because we'd been away for so long. It was a very strange experience, but it's amazing. And the nurses and the doctors and all the staff are just incredible, absolutely incredible. Lovely, brilliant. Well, I think we should take a little break. I'm hoping Ethan will be able to play another little tune for us. Ethan, do you reckon you uh, could manage it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, let's have a little tune and we'll come back and we'll speak to Steve Simpson, who actually donated as well, joined the list, and a match was found for for your... Your contributions, yeah, yeah, I contributed in a small way to one person. Perfect. Well, this next song's for you. Uh, yeah, this is an original. Uh, it's called Do You Think? I've been kind of scared lately that I've got no one to hold. And now you've come along and told me how to move. I'm a top set for almost every single lesson. But I keep quiet about it cause it's another thing you can mention. Yes, the aim of the game is to make names, but I ain't gonna listen. You know it's slaughtered, but look in the water and see the devil glisten oh oh do you think you can stop a fast-paced rolling stone do you think you can't stop me all on your own i am a ship at sea but i swear i ain't gonna sink so tell me honestly what Very lonely, made friends with the voice in my head And they speak to me while I'm lying in bed Look inside my book at a few of my pages And read them out to all your mates Because I've been waiting for ages Yes, the aim of the game are to make ma names but I ain't ever gonna listen I know it's slaughtered but look in the water and see how the devil glistens oh oh do you think you can't stop a fast-paced rolling stone do you think you can't stop me all on your own yes I'm a ship at sea but I swear I ain't ever gonna sing, so please tell me honestly, do you think? Do you think? 
stop me all of you. Yes, I know I am a ship at sea, but I swear I ain't gonna sink. So please tell me honestly. Ethan, do you know what? I am genuinely shocked at how young you are. And like, I could seriously buy that record. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. How long did it take you to write it? Um, I wrote it during lunch. I'd say half an hour. You see, that's what all the greats say, isn't it? You know, people like Noel Gallagher, you know, I just wrote it, you know, when I was on the bus and, you know, just coming home from school. And it's amazing. And tell us how to spell ukulele, because I still can't do it. Okay, it's uh, U-K-U-L-E-L-E. Okay, has everybody got that? Yeah, I'll, it's, it's, it must be the hardest word to spell in the English language, I must say. Now, have you got another one for me for later on? Uh, yes. You yes. can whiz one up. Okay. Yes, I'm sure I can, yes. Well, so far, so good. Thank Thanks, you. Ethan. Thank you. Right, back to the show, back to business. We're talking about stem cell donation. Uh, and are you on the list? That is the question, because only 2%. I'm ashamed to say I'm not. I will be after this. I know everybody's horrified in here. I'm just being honest. But I will be after this and I hope if you're listening you will take an interest too um, and we'll all do it together we'll have the Hollis and Albans um, joining the um, Anthony Nolan supporting them and joining the list and being a match it saves a life that's on your t-shirt Holly it is and it's it's something to be put on the list is quite a simple thing to do which and I'm sure Sarah who's on later will talk about but most people are I'd say a lot of people carry a donor card uh, so they're prepared to do something like that. A lot of people give blood. So why not be on the registered? Well, team? I think people just aren't aware that, that that's not. We've we've just got to a, sp- a place in this country where actually we're thinking about organ tra- um, donation has to be sort of automatic and you have to opt out mm-hmm. of it. So we're just getting there. Steve, I'm going to bring you in now. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to and be here. You did a very noble thing, which is you joined the list, and then hey presto, what happened? I joined the list um, way back in around 1990. Um, Some colleagues at work um, were desperately seeking a donor for their son and they were making all sorts of publicity. Um, They were on the TV and radio just, I mean, they were desperate. They were drumming up um, as much publicity as they could in the, the hope that they could find a match. And one of the things that they did was to persuade Anthony Nolan Trust, as it was at the time, to bring um, a nurse into the office block where we all worked, and there were several hundred people there, and they marched us in one at a time, and they wouldn't let us uh, not go. So I can't claim that this was done out of any form of altruism. I just, at the time, I didn't have a a reason not to be involved, and when I thought about it, it it was really silly. Just as Holly's saying, we we, we give blood without a second thought. Why would you not uh, give this? So I did a very, very simple thing. I, I walked into a room and somebody took a, um, a, a sample with a swab and, and that was it. That was my wow. contribution at the time. It does seem simple to me that if I was running a big company, I would just have an Anthony Nolan day. I don't even know if this happens. We'll have to ask them. Where mm-hmm. just everybody does it, where it's organised, it's in work it's, time. It's, so it's it's easy to do and it's an effective way, obviously, of gathering up. Exactly. It's, it's not like, you know, you're being asked to give up a kidney or something. This is just a, a tiny little 
um, uh, in position for for less than a, a minute while they took the swab, and then you were back to your desk and back to work. Um, and then I, I thought no more of it. Um, absolutely, I, I obviously wasn't the um, the miracle that they were uh, hoping for. But um, some eight to ten years later, I can't remember exactly when, I got a letter through the the post uh, through the you? door yeah, yeah just out of the blue it landed on the uh, the map i thought it was a, a circular perhaps anthony nolan trying to do some fundraising uh, but i i fortunately i opened it up and uh, and it said you are a potential match for um, a very sick uh, young man in belgium as it was i think he was a 13 year old person in belgium uh, and i was a match a potential match for them and they asked if I would um, take the next step, which was to um, uh, do a blood test. So I went to the local surgery. Again, a very, very simple thing. I was in there for 30 minutes. They took some blood, um, and I didn't hear anything more for a couple of days while they did the, the samples, and then they rang me up and said, good news. Uh, and it was good news. I was a, a match, and... Um, then things started to happen very quickly. I mean, it must have been exhilarating to think, wow, you know, everybody dreams of saving someone, don't they? But, you know, you it must be just filled, filled you with joy that you could. It really did, yeah. It was... Um, it, 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 it seems unfair that it was just a little thing that I did, but the little thing that I did um, could lead to somebody's life being saved. And and you know, sort of joining the dots between those two things was a very exciting thing for 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 me as a donor. I was um, really glad to to be able to be involved in some way. And recently, you did some. You were involved with Anthony Anthony Nolan, as it's now known, hmm. um, for other reasons. Yes, um, and entirely um, separately, um, we through the, the work that Holly's done, we did some fundraising at the school and. Um, uh, managed to raise uh, £4,400 for uh, for Anthony Nolan. Um, we gave them the cheque, or Holly gave them the cheque, not, uh, not very long ago. Wow, and we shall ask them about that after the break when we're going to be speaking to Sarah Rogers, who has an amazing job title of Regional Register Development Manager. I like that. So hopefully we'll speak to Sarah after the break. Thanks, Steve. 92.6 FM. Radio Verulam. The Parent Show is sponsored by Neve Solicitors. Neve Solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neve's includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neve Solicitors, your complete legal solution. Family life has its ups and downs, and at Neve Solicitors, we're here to help with all your legal matters. Whatever your circumstances, we know how to handle even the most delicate situations. Our experienced family law specialists offer friendly, sympathetic advice on everything from trust funds to property, from partnership breakdown to wills and probate. To arrange a free consultation, visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neve Solicitors, your complete legal solution. If you like a peaceful start to your Saturday, then maybe steer clear of this. Wake up with Kevy. 
It's a family show. I was watching the rugby with my mother, who's Irish, last week, and we enjoyed it. My mate Trev didn't enjoy it at all, so good morning, Trev. Um, unlucky. With requests. It's uh, 7.15, time check there for Fraser. He's, he usually reports it he's out running, but he hasn't been out running much of late, has he? So get on it, Fraser. And some great music. Well, that's blown away the cobwebs this morning, isn't it? So I hope you're all enjoying it here Saturday morning. In bed with your Facebook on, that's Wake Up With Kevin. Add Twitter, RV Kevin. Get involved. Saturday mornings from 7 here on 92.6 FM, Radio Verulam. We are the radio station for St Albans, Radio Verulam. And welcome back to The Parents Show on Radio Rowland 92.6 FM. I'm Cathy Weston and this evening we are talking about stem cell donation and hearing from Rupert Cross who has made an amazing transformational recovery thanks to a wonderful donor, a young man I believe Holly, who uh, uh, joined the list and it was a match and it's ended up into you know being a great success story. And we've also been hearing about the fundraising that a couple of our guests in the studio have done tonight. Steve just mentioned you is four thousand pounds, uh, and also Holly, you raised sixteen thousand another time. Yeah, in total, uh, for yeah various bits and pieces, but yes, yeah, sixteen thousand wow. over sixteen thousand pounds so far. Wow. Well, happily, we've got Anthony Nolan, a representative from Anthony Nolan, on the phone now, who can tell us what she thinks of that. Hi, Sarah. Hello, hello. Thank How are for, you? Thank you, thank you for having me. I'm well, thank you very much. Yes. Aren't these stories inspiring and you get to, you know, listen to them regularly? Yes, they are absolutely inspiring and we're very grateful indeed to um, to Holly and families like her who are willing to share their story and, um, it, you know, it's not always easy to do that and um, recovery, you know, finding a the weight to find a match and... Um, the transplant itself and recovery after the transplant, they're not easy things. So we're very grateful for families that are willing to, to share that. And um, it really helps us um, raise awareness and get the word out and how important it is to, uh, to, to register as a donor if you're eligible. Now, let's go back to the issue of finding a match for mm. some very, very poorly children who are mm. currently waiting, for example, at Great Ormond Street. Yes. Relatively speaking, Holly didn't wait as long as other people, it signs are waiting. No. Um, so it, it, stem cell transplants are uh, used to treat all sorts of age groups from tiny babies um, right through to um adults got in their 60s and 70s and uh, everybody in between and um, it really varies um, on the, the, the person's situation. It is, it is really like a lottery. So for, there are about 2,000 people every year in the UK who are told that they need a stem cell transplant and uh, around 30% of them are lucky enough to have a suitable donor in their family, which in most cases would be a sibling. Um, if your sibling isn't a match, then, then it, it is almost um, impossible that a, that a cousin or somebody would be a match. So it really is a sibling that, uh, that our patients would be reliant upon. And, and, if, and it was shocking to read on your website about the chances of finding a match dropping dramatically based on ethnicity. Yes. Exactly, and that is one of one of the, the 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 biggest challenges, if not the biggest challenge, that we face is is addressing that issue. 
So we're able to find perfect matches. So the better the match between donor and recipient, the, the better the outcome. So we obviously want the best matches we can possibly find. We call them a 10 out of 10 match. And we find those matches for, for around 60% of uh, recipients, but that drops to, to only about 20% for, for any, any patients who are from a, an ethnic group that is not white Northern European. So, so any group that is, that, uh, any ethnicity, um, beyond white Caucasian, white Northern Europe, European, the chances are much, much slimmer. And what does Anthony Nolan do to try and diversify the register? Well, we do. Um, the, the, the issue really is is that we're, we're drawing from a smaller pool of people, of course, because the majority of the population in the UK are white. So um, the majority of donors on our register, um, it, it reflects that. Um, but we we do um, our very best to try and address it. So we um, so for example, I look after the London area. Um, I cover the whole of Greater London with my donor recruitment. And uh, it is, um, London is an incredibly ethnically diverse city. So schools and universities are um, ideal places to recruit young people because ideally we want uh, the younger, younger donors make better donors. So we recruit from the age of 16 up to 30. And Sarah, why do younger donors, I read this, that you're, mm. I think that Anthony Nolan is really keen for younger men, is that correct, yes. between 16 and 30? that is correct. That's um, because around um, 18%, one eight, 18% of our register is made up of, of young men between the ages of 16 and 30. Um, but from that 18% over, um, I think it's around 56% of all our donors are found. So wow. the transplant centers, when they're looking for um, a donor, they ideally want a young male. Um, and that's um, there's for a couple of reasons. So um, uh, the younger donors um, are less likely to um, have complications, which mean that you know they have their own health problems, which might mean they're not able to proceed with donation. So the younger you go, the, the fitter people are. Um, and our research also uh, indicates that patients that receive transplants from younger donors have better outcomes. Um, and that was the case with Holly, wasn't it, Holly, that your donor was young and male? Yes, he was. He was 27, 27 at the time. So it sort of fits the profile as well. And Steve, what age were you when you donated? I was in my mid-20s when I yeah. registered, yeah. and I was about 33 or 34 when, yeah. when so I was that's quite interesting, up. isn't yeah. it? Uh, Sarah, were you listening to Steve's story? Yes. yes. Uh, no, sorry, I wasn't. I wasn't yeah. able to hear that. No. In, in terms of how he, he made it sound terribly easy to, <laughs> to join the register, and then, you know, it sounded yeah. like somebody took a swab, and he was that's at work right. that day, yeah. and it was all very easy. Yeah, Has so, that process changed? Um it, it hasn't. It, it, we, we do join, donors join at the register by giving us a cheek swab. Um, prior to um, the cheek swab, donors would give us a saliva sample. And some of your listeners who may have registered a, a good while ago, like I did, will remember that they gave a blood sample. So 
over the course of a decade, we, we have made it much, much easier for people to join. Um, and that, in turn, makes it much, much easier for us to recruit. Um, so I can go out and do events in schools. I don't need someone to take blood. Um, I just need to take my cheek swabs and some um, enthusiastic volunteers, and we can, we can recruit very easily. So the person joining the register provides us with a cheek swab and they fill out um, a, 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 an application form and that gives us enough information to put them onto the register. And then they remain on the register until they're 60 years old um, and they are searched anytime anyone in the world needs a matching. What's the donor. most exciting kind of long distance match that you've made? It's very interesting. I was taking oh. it back when Steve said Belgium and I was thinking, gosh. Yes, but, you well, know. we, um, in, in my previous role at Anthony Nolan, I manage the volunteer couriers. So our couriers go all over the world um, to collect the stem cells from the donor and bring them back to the UK. So our couriers have been to um, Australia, South Africa, uh, Brazil, um, it, you know, those are unusual. You may only get one or two trips like that a year, but we do have um, we do have uh, donors as far away as that, and also for donors in the UK who are donating, they may well uh, be be donating to somebody overseas. Now, a question for all of you. It, I, I put this to my husband, who's quite squeamish, and he said, "Isn't it a bit grueling?" To have your bone marrow taken mm-hmm. out. So let's, let's, let's go for his uh, good question. I think it's a good question. Mm. It sounds easy, the cheek swab and yes. maybe the saliva donation. Yes. <laughs> but what, maybe Steve can, can tell us what it felt like. Yeah, I'm not sure grueling is the word, but uh, the harvesting of the stem cell when I did it, um, uh, back in the 90s was, was a, a, a little more, um, than the, the, the swab. Um, I went down to the Royal Free Hospital. Uh, and uh, in, in in those days, and I think still sometimes the bone marrow is extracted through long bones, and so I was under a general anaesthetic um, for an hour while the bone marrow was extracted, and when I woke up, I had two very inconsequential bruises and a little bit of stiffness in my lower back where the uh, the, uh, the the cells were removed. Um, but I think these days, most times that cells are uh, harvested. It's, it's just through a, a, like a blood transfusion out of one arm and then back into the other. Plus you wake up feeling yeah. like a hero, Steve, yeah. so that's great. <laughs> and uh, Sarah, how does that's, that compare to now? Well, what, uh, Steve's um, explanation of, of what we call a bone marrow donation is, is fantastic and um I, I would love him to come out to donor recruitment events with me and I'd love uh, to, yeah. tell people how how um, straightforward that is. So, but only ten percent of our donors now donate in the method that Steve did, um, and that that is pretty much the same. Um, but nowadays, ninety percent of donations are made via blood. So, as as Steve just mentioned, um, it involves having a course of injections prior to donating. Um, and then you go along to one of our collection centres. Um, we have three in London, one in Sheffield and one in Manchester. Um, we make all the arrangements and um, the donor goes along. They're connected to a machine called an apheresis machine. And the blood passes from one arm uh, through the machine. The machine extracts the stem cells from the donor's blood. And then the blood is returned into the other arm. 
So uh, if you imagine a, a, like, um, a patient who's on dialysis where they just sit there patiently waiting and their blood going round and round the system, it's a similar thing. You just sit there. It takes about four or five hours. Um, so it's most of the donors um, say it, the worst thing about it is it's boring. We encourage them to take a friend along. Um, we or an iPad. An iPad, <laughs> a box set, um, and uh, lots of people obviously relish the opportunity to sit and do not very much for four or five hours. Lovely. I, w- I once visited a donor actually who had downloaded the whole of Spring Watch and he was just sitting there <laughs> watching Spring Watch while he donated. And that really is as as easy as it is. And then after that, you're, you're free to go home and you might feel a little bit tired for a few days, but the body replenishes everything you've donated and you go back to normal, but you have potentially saved a life, a life like Rupert's or one of the many other sisters, brothers, mothers, fathers, grandparents, all the people around the world. I who, love this um, figure, sir. You've got, is it true, you've got 690,000, sorry, 690,000 other individuals on the register. I think we have a few more than more. that, it's actually, a bit now. More, I think we have, we're over 700,000 now. Wow. Um, so, yes, it's nice to be able to tell you that we've gone up. So, yes, we, we have over 700,000 donors. And um, if anybody would like to learn more, they can visit our website, which is antoninolan.org. Um, there's also information on there um, about how there's how to how to join the register, which you can do online if you're eligible. And if any of your listeners are older, there's also information about other registers and also how other ways in which they can support our work. So, Sarah, what are the main issues why someone would be precluded from uh, joining the list? Um, well, for, for us, it's, it's, it's mainly age. So we recruit people between 16 and 30, and we're very strict on that. So if you could join the day before your 31st birthday, but once you're 31, you'd no longer be eligible. Um, we need people who are over 50 kilograms. That's just under eight stone. So that does tend to exclude very petite females. Mm-hmm. Um, and aside from that, you need to be in good health. Um, so the main conditions which would exclude people, I suppose, that are more commonplace are diabetes or epilepsy. Um, and there are other health um, conditions, but really as long as you're, you're healthy and over 50 kilograms and aged between 16 and 30, um, you're very likely to be. And eligible. as you know, most of our listeners are parents. Yes. And the thing is, uh, you're making me think that as a parent, I should be encouraging my sons when they reach that age. Absolutely. So that's yes. another way in which you, yes. you know, the parenting community can help you know, um, garner yes, support for Anthony. Most definitely. Um, I think, and, and, and talking about it and talking about how easy it is. And I think, um, one of our issues is we talk to young people, um, in schools. We have an education program, but they go home and they talk to their parents and their parents may have, um, believed some of the myths and some of the stories and, and their parents will say, oh no, you know, you don't want to be doing that. But, um, it's, you know, the more educated parents are, then the more they're able to support and encourage their children. Um, so I would, I would definitely recommend, um, visiting our Facebook page as well, because we have lots of stories of donors like Steve who are saying, you know, how it really was for them and how it felt.
And obviously it is absolutely heartbreaking to think that there are parents just sitting in Great Ormond Street tonight waiting, yes, waiting for And, you know, you've got 700,000 um, people on the list, but look at the population of Great Britain. Yes, so quite. It's, you know, that's <laughs> yes. the point we're trying to get across tonight. Yes. And I think, you know, um, we have lots of teachers and, and head teachers listening this evening. What can they do? They can ring you up, get you yes, in. Yes, if, if you have any teachers listening and they're um, in schools, um, with six forms, then if they visit our website and have a look at um, education, our Education the Hero project, um, and we are very keen to visit schools. We have trained volunteers, um, many of whom have their own personal stories, and they go out and um, they... they um, uh, educate the, the young people about how easy it is to not only um, donate stem cells but also um, to encourage them to think about giving blood because, of course, none of these patients would ever get to the point of being able to have a stem cell transplant if it wasn't for blood donors. So we teach them about that as well and also get them thinking about organ donation. So we cover all aspects of donation um, and also we can... Um, if the school would like to run donor recruitment events where we visit um, and enable those um, students who wish to, to join the register. So there's a role for everyone, teachers, parents, schools, teachers and head teachers. I think, I'm sure Holly can, you know, agree with me that it's not until you're in this position that you think, why doesn't everyone do it? (laughs) Exactly. It just seems ridiculous when people do think about organ donation, but this is something you can do whilst you're still alive. (laughs) And, dare I say it, and, you know, you you can save people's lives. It's just such a simple thing to do, to save somebody's life. Um, It costs you absolutely nothing, and you lose nothing. It's a simple thing to do, which takes minutes and a little bit of willpower just to, uh, to, 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 to kick it all off and then it all happens for you. I was going to say as well, if anybody works for anybody that has a lot of, say, international people working for them as well, maybe they could do something through work. I don't know. I'm sure Sarah will have all the details for that. But if they've got something, you could have a bit of a drive going at work. Yes, we do do um, drives um, in um, corporate environments. We do a lot of work with... Um, uh, armed forces, um, the uniform services, um, every anywhere really where there are a lot of young men. Right, <laughs> right. Where well. there's young men, you'll find Anthony Nolan, hopefully. Lovely. Well, listen, Sarah Rogers, thank you so much for joining us, and hopefully you'll see a big boost in numbers I, after I the parent show. I will have a look show. in the morning. Um, Lovely. And we'll see from, from the uh, <laughs> yeah. St. Albans postcode. That's uh, right. Spike. That's right. Look out for those AL postcodes. Yes, I will do. Okay, take good care, and thank you so much thank for joining us. Thank you very us. much for the opportunity. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. And Holly, I just wanted to say, back to, because I'm still trying to absorb the fact you've raised £16,000. How did you do that for Anthony Nolan? Well, um, I felt I needed to do something after what they've done for us. Um, and there's two things. There's either raising awareness and there's also raising funds to help them with um, putting donors onto the register but also as well they do research as well which I don't think Sarah really went into that but they do a lot of research as well um, so one of the things that I've always wanted to do was to run the London Marathon 
So you had the energy after going through the ordeal of keeping Rupert happy and well at Great Ormond Street and then you decided to run the marathon. Yeah, why not? No, okay. <laughs> um, it was something I've always wanted to do is run the marathon. Something came up on Anthony Nolan's Facebook page, want to join, you know, want to run the marathon. Um, it's a challenge that I've always wanted to do and it was a time when Rupert was going back to school only for small you know, mornings. So I had a little bit of free time. Um, I'm not a runner. You're I, not. A I'm runner. not. I wasn't a runner. Rupert, okay. do you agree? Do you think your mummy was a runner? No. No. <laughs> so were you shocked when she said she was going to run the marathon? Well, I don't really know until like I just saw her go out and I was asking what was going on and she just said that she was going for a run. Yeah, there's a lot of stories in your family of bravery and of overcoming um, lots of tricky things, isn't there? <laughs> but it was, it was a great opportunity, and actually, it's amazing. Psycho, psycho, I can't say the word. Psychologically. Psych that's the word. Uh, it was a great thing because it was my space, my time, and I had a challenge, and it's something I wanted to achieve, and therefore, it was fantastic. And I met this amazing group of jog honours, a bit of a plug for them now as well, in Berkhamsted. There's a group called Jog On who run uh, running courses, so taught me how to run. Wow. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, going back to how I was this time last year compared to how I run now, it's it's amazing. They are such an amazing bunch of people, uh, inspirational. They've all got their own problems, really, um, and they use running as a thing to sort their heads out. And it wow. is amazing. I love running. Well, I don't love it. I hate it when I'm doing it. <laughs> but afterwards, I think, what have I achieved? It's, wow. it's brilliant. More inspiration. Mm. And I wanted to ask you, you know, we can't, we don't want to go into the details of how, you know, difficult the recovery was and watching Rupert go through some gruelling, you know, experiences in the hospital. But it's not quite as simple as getting out after 88 days, is it? There is no. a recovery period beyond the hospital that you as a mother has to have to maintain, sustain. Yes. And that's a lot of work, isn't it? It was. I had to learn how to do, um, Rupert had um, something called a Hickman line, which is like an IV line direct um, into his heart, I believe. I'm no tech I'm not a technical person. Uh, he also had something called a PEG, which is um, a line that goes direct into his stomach. So I could feed all the medications through these two lines. I had to learn how to give IVs and they have to be very clinically clean. So I had to learn all that and be trained how to do it and mix up. Um, very, very complicated, but, you know, I needed to get him out of hospital, otherwise we weren't going out. So I had to learn how to do that. One of the things as um, something you can get after having a bone marrow transplant is something called GVHD, which is graft versus host disease. And it's where your, um, your donor and yourself are sort of arguing between each other. Um, he had it of the skin, the liver, uh, upper gut, and uh, what did you call yourself, Rupert, when you were had? I called myself a yellow banana alien. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's one of the pictures Rupert. on the side. He had jaundice really badly. We did see that picture of you, Rupert, and was that so that that was literally another condition that you developed beyond the transplant. Yeah, and it's you quite were still common... able to smile in that picture. How did yeah. you manage that? I don't know, I just, as Tim Peake said, get on with it. Oh, Rupert, you're so It was staying positive the whole way through, wasn't it? And we did have a laugh, because you had to. What else could you do? You have yeah. two choices. You either, you know, break down and go, oh my gosh, how am I coping? Or you say, come on, let's make the best of it. And that's what we did. Rupert, a question someone has for you is, how did it feel when you were back in your own bed and you didn't have to go back to hospital? In my own bed? Oh, 
I felt I, it felt good, you know. Yeah. Just, it was. It felt really, really comfy and nice Did going it? back to my own bed. Yeah, and I know your daddy's a great cook. Was it nice to have <laughs> his food? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, you're all an inspiration. Um, we've got a couple of minutes left on the show. Holly, is there anything else you want to flag up quickly in terms of websites? Or, or We've got it mostly on our Facebook page before we bring Ethan back in for a last song. Yeah, I think the most important thing for me is you know to get more donors uh it really is and especially somebody try and find a donor for ali yes let's try and find a donor for ali everybody sign up i'm going to do it tomorrow morning so anthony nolan look for um ali's facebook page saving ali a-l-l-y ali's fight thank you so much for joining us steve simpson rupert and holly cross and we're going to exit the show with the fabulous Ethan Summers. Over to you, Ethan. Uh, This is a song by uh, Smash Mouth, and it's called uh, All Star. Somebody once told me the world is gonna rule me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kind of dumb with a finger and a thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead. Well, the years start coming and they don't stop coming Back to rules and hit the ground running Then it makes sense not to live for fun Your brain gets fine, but your head get done So much to do, so much to see So what's wrong with taking the back streets? You never know if you don't go You never shine if you don't go Hey now, you're an all-star Get your game on, go play Hey now, you're a rock star You can show on, get paid and all Only shooting stars break the mold. It's cold place, and they say it gets colder. You bottled up now, wait to get older. But the medium that thanks to it, did you buy the hole in the side of life? But yes, we skate, it's getting pretty thin. The water's getting warm, so you might as well swim. Well, it's on fire, how about yours? That's the way I like it, and I'll never get bored. Hey now, you're an all star, get your game on, go. The Parent Show is sponsored by Neve Solicitors. Neve Solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neve's includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neve Solicitors, your complete legal solution.